somebody who would want a relationship with you. And you think, the creator and sustainer of all the earth who knows everything about me, every detail about my life, he wants to share a meal with me. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to be a part of my life. He wants to be in close relationship. And it's been said often that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Some things we read in the Bible are difficult to understand, and some we'll never understand until we can ask Him face to face. As Pastor Daniel explores the specifics of the sacrifices mentioned in Leviticus, we'll find that there is a lot left unsaid. But instead of being frustrated, listen and be encouraged to know that we're all in process all the time. When you seek God, He does the work to refine and mature you, and understanding will come. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, The Grain and Peace Offering. We should be preservatives and not the bad kind that you don't want to eat, but we should be a pure preservative. Our function as the people of God in the world at large is that each one of us be a preserving agent. And so that's why when we are being salt and light in the world, we're not allowing the world to decay as quickly as it might because of our presence there. And that's why it's so important for us, isn't it, that we be peculiar people and not peculiar weird, but we live differently. We laugh at different sets of jokes. We're not just like everybody else. Because, and if you don't believe me, you got to come on Sunday as we break open grace in the mess from Ephesians chapter 2. Because what happens is we realize that all of us walked according to the ways of the world until God intervened in our lives. And when God intervenes in our lives, maybe we used to gossip all the time, but we don't anymore. Why? Because we realize that every time we gossip, that's why Jesus died on the cross. And when we're standing at work and people are jibber-jabbering about somebody else who they don't like or they don't agree with, right? And we join in on that. We're not being salt at all. We're helping the decay along because we're joining it rather than being the salt. And that doesn't mean we have to sit there and be like, you shouldn't say that, you know? Because sometimes that's even more judgmental, right? But the idea is that for us not joining in and, and being a preservative agent or saying someone does something wrong, you can say, well, yeah, we've all done stuff wrong, right? When we're salt, we're being a preservative, So it's interesting how all these different aspects to these sacrifices have all sorts of applications for us. Now, of course, you guys know that salt also produces thirst. It's another function of salt. How many of you eating a whole bag of chips? You get real thirsty, right? Even if you don't even, a handful. I've talked to you guys about the saltine cracker challenge. Don't do it. I tried. You guys heard it. You have to eat eight saltine crackers in one minute with no water. You can't do it. You know what happens? After about four saltines, you have no saliva left in your mouth. You can't swallow the rest of it. So please don't try. I don't want, I know someone's going to like do it. They're going to Facebook and like, hey, Pastor Jerry, look, we're doing it. I don't want the choking on my hands, okay? Just take my word for it, please. 
But salt produces thirst. Now you think about it. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what? They will be satisfied. So one of the ways that we're salt, of course, is to make other people thirsty. We should live our lives in such a way that other people are like, man, I just want what they got. What's the deal with you? We should be thirst promoters in the world. So not only preserving this idea, it's, it promotes thirst. And then, of course, another application of salt is salt gives flavor, doesn't it? And I, I just believe Christians should be zesty in that way. Like, we should have lives of a unique flavor. And listen, all of our flavors are a little different, but there should be some pizzazz to who we are. Because of Jesus, because of his grace, because of the fact that we're not weighed down with all these cares, we should add some flavor to the world. Now I realize, like, everyone's got a little bit of a different style. But salt does do that, right? It adds some flavor. And I believe that the people of God are meant to add flavor to this life. And so you all just keep being who you are in Jesus' name. We're enjoying it. Amen? You guys are awake? Yeah, okay, good. Let's keep going then. Verse 14. Verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from all your heads, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of it of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So now we get back to that first fruits idea. And Again, now you see there's different stipulations because this isn't fine flour. This is green heads, brandly new, taken off the stalk. And there's a certain way for those first fruits to be offered. Now, moving into verse chapter three, now we get the peace offering. It's also called the fellowship offering or the well-being offering. And, and this chapter breaks down into the three sections. First, you have the peace offering of cattle, then you have the peace offering of sheep beginning in verse 6 to verse 11. And then you have the sheep or, or the peace offering of goats. Now, the well-being or the peace offering has at its core, this is an offering of thankfulness. This is a, a gratitude offering. So whereas the first two, one's got a propitiation bent. It's to appease for our wrongs. The grain offering, again, is saying, Lord, Thank you, you provide, you take care of everything. Now the peace offering is, Lord, I just want to say thank you. This is the sacrifice of praise, as we hear about in the book of Psalms. And I do think that we need to practice gratitude more often. I find that in my own life, and I think I'm a pretty happy person. But how often does God do something great and I forget to come back and say thank you? Now, I'm raising kids, and when somebody does something nice for my kids and they don't come and say thank you, what do I do? I give them a hard time as a parent. I say, listen, man, you need to be not rude. You need to be respectful and kind. And when someone goes out of their way to do something, you need to say thank you. You know, because when somebody receives something and doesn't come back and say thank you, that's kind of a rude thing, right? How many times do you give someone a gift and they're like, yep, right on, walk away? Probably the last time they get a gift from you, right? And so this idea, it's so easy in, in our culture to not be thankful about anything. Everything's just not good. It's not all right. You know, I battle it just as much as the next person. 
It's so easy to take everything for granted because everything's what it is. And if you look at your life, you're like, well, I could have a better job and I could have a better spouse and I could have a nicer car and I could have, I could have a this and that. And it's, there's always the next thing. That's the beauty of living in, in a culture of plenty. But in, in the midst of that, we forget just to say, God, thank you for today, for right now. Thank you for this life you've given me. And sure, it's all mangled. But Lord, you've given me this. And, and I have friends and family and a church family. And Lord, your grace, I get all this and Jesus. So that attitude of gratitude, that idea of just saying, Lord, I just want to say thank you. I just want to fellowship with you. This is not because I did anything wrong. It's not because I just want to say thank you, God, for my life and for this day. And that's why it's called, in some of your translations, a well-being offering. Because you're just saying, Lord, because you are God, I am well. Because you are God, I am well. So let's look at how this rolls out. We'll take the the first of the three of them in verse 1. It says, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove and Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar Upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, again, this is of cattle, so either the bull or the cow. Now, notice, as contrasted to the burnt offering, now it could be a male or a female. Okay? So remember, when we looked at the burnt offering, it could only be male without blemish. We talked about how that pointed to Jesus. But now this thanksgiving offering, this well-being offering, it could be male or female. It doesn't matter. But either way, it has to be the best of your flocks. Which again, we, we have this idea that we want to give God our best. Remember, I, I told you the joke about how a guy, and he had, a, he had an animal, and the animal was going to have twins. And he said, Lord, one's for me and one's for you. Thanks for the twins. And when the, the cattle was born, one lived and one died. And the guy said, the Lord's cattle died. I'm sorry, Lord. We laugh about it. We're wired that way, right? We're wired that way. We all are. So God wants our best, not our sloppy seconds, not our leftovers. We give God the best. Such an important thing for us. So instead of just giving like, okay, which is the weakest, lamest looking cattle in my flock? I'll give that one to the Lord. It's like, no, it needs to be one without blemish. We're giving God our best all the time. Notice, again, verse 2, you lay your hands on their head. That's the idea of that, that transfer of ownership. And we had that also with the burnt offering. And again, he kills it at the tabernacle of the door of meeting. So once again, the offerer of the sacrifice is doing a lot of the dirty work here. I mean, try and imagine what this would be like with, I mean, imagine if everybody here, I mean, Pastor Jack had you writing something on three by five cards. Imagine if each one of us had an animal to slaughter. Imagine what that would be like. Be very provocative, to say the least. Very provocative. 
you know? But the idea is, is that the person who's giving the offering is getting their hands dirty in the process. This is very up close. This is very personal. Now, again, Aaron's sons are there, the priests, and they sprinkle the blood all around the altar. In verse 3, look what it says. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar. Now, so you notice that. All the fat is removed, including the kidneys. Now, in that culture, the kidneys were considered the seed of the soul. Sometimes it's, in old school, it's translated bowels. We say today it's our heart, right? The heart is the seat of who you are. It's the control center for your life, right? So when, by none of the fat can be offered, and the kidneys were not allowed to be offered because that was considered the central core of this offering. So none of that could be offered. But it is interesting that all the fat is not allowed. Why? Because fat is always a picture of what? Of excess. It always is. So God is saying, look, I do not want your excess. I want what is primarily who you are. None of the fat, none of the leftovers, none of the excesses. Now, as it continues, verse 5 And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So you see this well-being offering, it's slightly different from the burnt offering. You can offer a female, but now there's certain pieces removed. The fat is removed, the kidney is removed, but everything else reads pretty much the same. Now, as we continue in verse 6, if his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Verse 8, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Verse 9, then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. Verse 11, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, this is the offering of, instead of a bull or a cow, now we have, again, a sheep. Notice the only difference we have here, of course, is the mention of the whole fatty tail. Now, what's interesting is that this portion of the animal was considered a delicacy. It usually raised, weighed about 15 pounds, but there are some cases where they could weigh as much as 60 pounds. So because these animals had this fatty tail, God says, I don't want that part. But everything else reads pretty much the same. But notice there's also the point here that it's a food. It's offering is food. So the idea for this in this well-being offering now is because they're saying it's like food, it speaks of a fellowship meal. In that culture, you, and like in our culture, you only sit down to eat with people who you have a relationship with. Right? 
And so this idea now, this, this fellowship, this peace offering, this well-being offering, it speaks to us of the fact that God has made a covenant and there's a relationship between God and between the offerer. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And again, that's something that we never want to take for granted. Remember Jesus speaking to the church in Laodicea said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. See, that's what God really wants. God wants a relationship with each one of us. And I think that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you think about somebody who would want a relationship with you. And you think, the creator and sustainer of all the earth who knows everything about me, every detail about my life, he wants to share a meal with me. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to be a part of my life. He wants to be in close relationship. And it's been said often that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I don't like making those distinctions personally because I think that our religion is a relationship with God. I think people like to say religion's bad, but I think that's more of a cultural thing than it is a realistic thing. Religion is what people do in response to the God that they understand. So I don't think religion should be a bad, I don't think we should be afraid to say, hey, yeah, my religion is Christianity. Because our religion implies that there's a relationship. There's a relationship between God and us. And God wants that relationship. God wants that relationship. Now, in verse 12, we get the offering of the goat. Look what it says. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Verse 13, he shall lay his hand on his head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. So you see that. Even though they don't offer the fat by fire, it's still God's. Again, very simple. It's the sheep offering. Everything's exactly the same. Once again, it's all about a thanksgiving offering. And then it closes this chapter in verse 17. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Now, this is an interesting conclusion, isn't it? This perpetual covenant, no fat, no blood. Now, we all know, and this was long before they could take our, you know, cholesterol levels, that eating fat's not good for you, right? It's not good for you. And even though, listen, I, I, as much as the next guy, I love my bacon grease and my eggs. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. So no fat, but then again, no blood. And we're going to see a lot of this in the book of Leviticus, specifically when we start getting into some of the later chapters, like Leviticus 19. Why? Because the life was in the blood. And so there was to be no consumption of blood. And you, can real, you realize that in John's gospel, when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me, you realize that people stopped following Jesus. I mean, it's a classic anti-strategic move by Jesus. He's growing in popularity. He's like, listen, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And everyone's just like, peace, Jesus, I'm out of here. I mean, can you imagine that? You're following somebody, you're like, you know, hey, you can't be my follower unless you drink my blood. You'd be like, 
All right, buddy. But Jesus wasn't speaking of us literally drinking his blood. It's about the application. When we we come to the communion table, that is not the literal body and blood of Jesus. That is a symbolic action. It's a remembrance service. So when we drink that cup, whatever's in that cup, and if you're like, look, I can't drink grape juice, then put water in the cup. It's not about the substance that's in there. It's about what it represents. And what we're saying is that the blood of Jesus has covered me. It's covered me. My forgiveness comes from the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus that has been applied to my life by faith. We have this great verse, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? It's all about God's grace. Through faith. See, it's interesting that in some segments of Christianity, they're going to tell you that the only way you can be right with God if you actually eat the bread and drink the cup after a special prayer has been made. That's a work. We don't need to come to the communion table every single week in order to be right with God. We come to the communion table because we're right with God. And we're just saying, Lord, I want to remember your perfect life. I want to remember your sacrificial death. And I realize that the only reason that I am forgiven is not because of anything that I've done, but it's all about what you've done. So right here, they're always like, don't, no blood, no blood, no blood. And I'm pretty sure that you guys are not eating and drinking blood. So if you are doing that for some reason, don't do that. Don't do that, because it's pretty nasty. But we won't judge you if you tell us that you do it. Just stop doing it now, okay? Just stop, stop doing it now. But the prohibition against blood Again, it's all pointing us to Jesus because by our faith in him, we realize that his perfect life is applied to us through his death, through faith. And I'll be honest with you, with every single passing day in my life, I become more grateful for the finished work of Jesus. Because I'm in process every day. You're in process every single day. But there's one thing that is not in process, and that is God's finished work on my behalf. I'm just growing into what it means, how it plays out, how it looks, what does it do, and how does it impact and integrate into my life. But his side of that work is already finished. And that finished work of Jesus is a foundation that we can build our lives on. And many of you are. And for some of you tonight, you're here, you haven't been building your life on Jesus. And you see that every time something comes up, it falls apart, and it falls apart hard. And all you need to do is say yes to Jesus, even tonight. It's all you need to do. And if you say yes to Jesus, you will have a rock, a foundation to build your life upon that no matter what happens in your life, it, may, it won't all be easy, but that house is going to stand. Listen, listen, there is enough power in the blood of Jesus to forgive every single sin that has ever been committed. There's enough power there. All God asks is say, Lord, take this burden, take this shame, take these mistakes, take this brokenness. I come to you just as I am, forgiven, cleanse, empower me by your spirit. That's all it takes. So no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you come to Jesus, he's got it taken care of. There's enough power there for you. Jesus is 
If you're like me, you forget things all the time. Well, here's Pastor Daniel with something that will help you remember. Hey everyone, Pastor Daniel here. I don't know about you, but life is busy and it's so easy to forget things. Now, thankfully, I have a couple of wonderful ladies in my life that join me in helping to accomplish all that God has called me to. Of course, I think of my beautiful bride, Lynn. She keeps me on track in so many ways. And then of course, there's my ministry assistant, Margaret, here at Crossroads. She helps me to make sure that my schedule in the ministry is running smoothly. Now, I love how God uses these ladies and so many other people to help remind me of what's important. One of the easiest things to forget isn't daily things like the schedule. It's actually the most important thing. It's the fact that God is real and he is in heaven and he is with me all the time, wherever I go. It may sound silly, but I started wearing a bracelet that says real on it. This bracelet is a constant reminder to me that Jesus is real and that God's grace is real and his mercy and his love has been poured out into my life. And I want to make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. To receive your very own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. These handcrafted leather bracelets are available to anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio through the month of January with a gift of $20 or more. Again, to receive your very own real bracelet, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Again, that's JesusIsRealRadio.com. Please join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.